The Dugout CEO Podcast is on the air. I'm Phil Van Horn, baseball lifer and fan of the Dugout CEO. Each week, Casey Cavell goes around the horn with baseball superstars, Hall of Fame coaches, and business leaders who've used baseball experience to win the game of life. Now batting, Casey Cavell. Out Nation, so glad to be joined by one of my favorite people, Chad Merrill. Chad is a husband, dad, entrepreneur, investor, and mentor. And he came into my life over a decade ago and taught me so many things about being a business owner and leader. And so glad you are joining us today on another episode of the Dugout CEO with Chad Merrill. Chad, welcome to the Dugout CEO. Hey, Casey. Thanks. Great to be here. Yeah, likewise. And uh, man, we go way back. You're one of my best friends and a guy that I don't know where I'd be in life without. So I've learned so much from you and now I'm excited for you to share whatever you're willing to with our listeners because you've had such a huge impact on so many people as, as an entrepreneur and investor and uh, just so many different things. And uh, thanks for being here, Chad. Yeah. Well, thank you for saying that. I appreciate that. Really, uh, really honored that you think that way and uh, feelings are likewise. So you're a Georgia guy Growing up, baseball, tell me your baseball story, maybe as a player and fan and all that kind of fun stuff. Yeah, so I've actually got a long history. I'm in now act two, um, but I grew up, you know, little league, starting from the bottom. I think favorite year was probably 11 or 12 when we we won our all-star team, won our region. We went to state, coming from South Georgia, big trip, come up to Atlanta. The team comes to Atlanta to play in the state tournament for a uh, for a few days, but just, you know, just a lot of baseball, um, you know, uh, wooden bats, you know, for the first half until I kind of got into high school. And so it was, uh, it was super fun, but just South Georgia, that was a part of it. Um, some of my best memories and the memories was, Hey, you get to go to the baseball field on, you know, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and on the weekends, you get to go out to where the bigger guys played. And so, uh, super, super fun. Uh, memories of playing and then transitioning to a coach even maybe even better yes i know you got some good stories coaching your your son what baseball stories do you remember from your coaching years well so i mean the the far and away favorite it might have been the highlight of uh kind of father son and that was we won we won the state championship um when i was coaching his 12 year old team i believe it was and so it was kind of a thrill of a lifetime to be able to talk to kids and say, you know, you don't think about it now, but when you get to my age, it's like, I never won a state championship at anything. And, you know, you guys are here. And, uh, you know, we won that. And then we formed a travel team after. And what was really kind of fun to look back was we actually won that state championship with a church league rec team that was truly guys pulled. We had our first practice when the rec season was on went on to run the table, won every single tournament we played in that year, and then uh, went on. And then super, super gratifying that, you know, I guess it's been about eight years later, seven years later, I hosted the uh, that team, our house, for a graduation party. They were all graduating high school, and all but one came. And so that, that kind of meant to me that it meant as much to those guys as it did to me, you know, for them to come back. And we were able to kind of send them off and – you know, in our own kind of way, commission them to you know, head out off to college or whatever they were doing. And so that that 
far and away greatest memory was that uh, 12 year old year of my youngest yeah. playing baseball. And then they all came back several several years later. What is that thing in you, Chad, that just you're a, I mean, you care about people. And it's with me, I mean, you, I had to write down some of my favorite people that have made the biggest impact. You're right there. And then you're always having people over to your house. You're always with people. You're always investing in people. Like, what is it about you that, you know, fires you up to do that for others? Yeah, I, I think that, you know, some of it was kind of the South Georgia growing up in kind of Mayberry, you know, that there were folks around. And then I think as we got later in life, you know, first I married, you know, well above my my means and someone that just had that caring. You know, she's a she's a real nurturing person and caring person. And then somewhere along the way, I think I realized that, um, you know, almost nothing that I did, you know, I did on my own. Someone was there to help, whether it was, a, you know, a teacher. I went to boarding school, you know, in New York. So a faraway place for me to coming back to an early mentor to you know, still through to this day. And that became something that just got built inside of me and us really as it's, it's something we really did as a couple that said, you know, we want to, we want to give back. We've got a little bit of a gift of hospitality and, you know, like having folks over and then, you know, it becomes really meaningful of who you do life with and, you know, how you can help other folks do life. That's great. And then in the business side of things, we connected. I, I believe you were transitioning out of one thing, looking for something else. It's kind of a cool story. Talk to us a little bit about your business journey, you know, starting all the different things you've done and then maybe leading up to the time when we met. Yeah. So as I briefly said, I went to I went to boarding school in New York. So coming out of South Georgia, going to New York, just a wide world opened. And I, I realized there was a whole lot more than you know, farmland and baseball and, you know, the corner store that was where I grew up, which was awesome. But then I got and it was like, hey, we're doctors, lawyers. Oh, my dad owns this. My dad does this. You know, we go to Europe. His dad has an office over in Europe. And it was like just a wide world um, going to uh, going to New York. And and also, I was at a time, I hesitate to say this because, you know, things become so divisive, but not as a political statement, but Donald Trump was larger than life. At that point in the early 80s, you know, Trump casinos and this, that and the other. And that was actually the first book I read when I uh, graduated high school, The Art of the Deal. And I kind of came out of that and said, man, I want to be an entrepreneur. And um, that kind of started on that journey. Of um, So I, except for being a courier in college, um, I've been self-employed my whole career. And it kind of really started from that eye opening, you know, being in New York and and a little bit later in life, you know, you get to, hey, I can control my destiny or I can do this. And, you know, now skip ahead, you know, 20, 30 years later and it's, hey, you can have a greater impact and you can do different things uh, that way. But that's the that's kind of the origin story. I knew from from the beginning, wanted to be entrepreneurial, started a company in college and um, really never looked back, you know, did uh the fancy term, which wasn't, I didn't even know what the term meant back then, was did a leverage buyout of a small company, you know, when I was about 20 years old and had been married for about three months and, and uh, you know, started, did, did kind of a hostile takeover. It's kind of funny to joke back, there were about 10 stockholders and I got like proxies till I got 51% and then uh, took over the company and, um, you know, then just started the journey from there. So, whether it was that business or another one, whether it was 
in your 20s or 30s, what do you think your biggest home run was business-wise where you're like, you know what, I made it? Yeah, so that, that definitely, you know, got to the 40s probably. I, I think there were a couple of, uh, you know, doubles and singles to stick with the analogy. But the, the real one was in, in my 40s, actually just, you know, a handful of years before I met you, when I was able to link up with a handful of um, really a couple of totally values aligned, equally yoked guys and said, let's get a company started. I'd been in a little bit of a disconnect from that in a in a, a worse relationship, but we got in and it wasn't easy. And there was a lot of years it was it was really hard getting it started, but um, really locked arms with a couple of guys that really saw life the same, wanted to do family the same, wanted to do the right thing. We shared faith, so we shared you know even you know deeper values from that standpoint, and. It, you know, it was just a home run of all home runs. I learned a lot. We learned a lot together. Um, it was coming off of how not to do things, some of which, you know, we share a little bit of background in that. Some of this, we were just, aggre- I was just aggressive, trying to do what I needed to do to kind of get things done. And, you know, it didn't do anything really radically wrong, but didn't follow the rules, wasn't always totally ethical in things that I did. I didn't really care for people. I've got a friend now that uses a quote that said, I saw figures, not faces. And, um, you know, we kind of set out to be one to say we want to live our values. And we said that from the uh, from the very beginning. And um, I, I don't tend to over spiritualize, but I think God honored our efforts. And, you know, we came together and we built a tremendous company. We built a tremendous company in uh, the heyday of 2007, 8 and 9, when the when the world was kind of melting down in the financial crisis. And we doubled and doubled and doubled you know, again, and, uh, you know, private equity came knocking on our doors. And so that was, that was probably the highlight of taking something from its origin, you know, starting and then ending up, you know, selling to a private equity firm that sold to another private equity firm and, you know, ultimately having a thousand people out uh, on the street and seeing our trucks all over, all over town and things like that was, uh, um, I think that was our, that was the, the home run of the business side of the career. So in 2007, 8, 9, the whole world's collapsing. You guys were doubling. How did you do it? What were the step-by-step things or the process that you did to build that company? Well, you know, I, I think from the beginning, I mean, the foundation was really clear. And and we told one of the things we did really in about the second year was we decided we were going to put a substantial amount of profits to into a foundation and do, you know, we sent football teams to FCA camp and we sent people to Young Life and we we did, you know, drives where we worked with uh, homeless shelters and things like that, where we got the full uh, full full team involved. And I, I really think an inflection point was the first year we'd actually lost money, but we had way exceeded our expectations. I don't remember the numbers, but I think we thought, man, if we can do four million in sales, it'll be a great year. And we'd done maybe five. But we, we didn't make money, but we said, you know what? We really had a phenomenal year. We're going to put $30,000 into that fund anyway, or 50 or whatever it was. And I think it was a real defining point for us to look at our face and say, you know, hey, are we really grateful for what's happened? And do we believe we're going to continue? And, um, it, you know, it, it, it continued and continued, and that became a pretty large, you know, part of what we did. And, um, uh, you know, Continuing to instill that in people, you know, all the way down to when we interviewed folks, someone that may be up for a bonus or a profit share, we we're like, hey, you got to know 
we're putting a big percentage of this to kind of give back to the community and to give back to our team. And so you need to know, you know, your bonus might be 10% smaller because we're, you know, we're going to do these things. But it really, it really drove the values through the company. And it was, it was really rewarding. And I look back now, so this is now sold in 2010, so 13 years later. So five years ago, six years ago, my old partners restarted the same company. And I started to join them. Non-competes were over. And within a year or two, probably 40 of our previous guys from employees from the other company are now working for these guys. Um, you know, I'm a part of a company that was bought less than two years ago. And former vice president of sales, former president and other guys are now at our company. When I asked them what that's about, they said, you know, we just had a culture. We had, you know, we had trust. We had, you know, shared values and we want to do that again. So uh, I think really just the foundational values. And I think you mentioned earlier figures, not faces. When we met, I was probably figures, not faces, right? I was mm-hmm. a youngish entrepreneur that either thought he had it all figured out or was too scared to admit that he didn't. And you kind of came in and we had a successful business, but we had high employee turnover. We had all kinds of challenges with employee morale and retention and all of that kind of stuff. And I just remember the moment you stepped foot in our building, it just changed. And I thought that was interesting because you just you brought something to the table that I couldn't. And I don't know whether it was I'm not meant to do that or just my level of maturity at the time. But getting into that, you know, with our business deal that we did together and building out DBAT and expanding locations. I want you to talk about that and TOCA and what you're doing, because I think that was all culture. And it was really cool the way you were able to come in and just set the tone on day one that this was different. How did you go about that and talk a little bit about what you're doing with DBAT and mm-hmm. TOCA and all that kind of stuff? Yeah, so they're really very directly related. You know, we sold to a private equity firm. It was great. The financial transaction was awesome. And then over the next two years, we started seeing that falling apart. Private equity guys are good guys. I still speak to them, but they, they were running a different playbook. It's like, how do you, how do you maximize? And so over the next couple of years, we had dozens, probably a hundred of our team members that left the company and just said, this isn't the same place. Some of them were mad at us, said, I can't believe, you know, what you started. And so it was kind of taking that in. So when I met you, I don't know if I shared this with you when we first met, but I had kind of written this little thesis that said, can you build a great company by really caring about employees and doing the right thing every time? And in our case, it was an eight-year-old rec league kid that we were trying to sell some lessons to. And it was like, can we do the right thing by that kid every time, regardless if it's, it's the most profitable thing we sell or if we don't even sell him anything? And, and, so that became just, I think it was a, a maturity in myself. It might've been in you also of saying, how do we align our values with what we do every day? And, and also quite frankly, some of that, and, and some of that I, I kind of look at kind of biblical standards also is that, you know, if you live your life, you know, whether you're, you're a Christian or a Jewish or anything else or not, there's like, if you live your life by the Proverbs, which just basically says, how do you treat people? How do you treat money? You know, what are vices that you stay away from? It's kind of like, do I really believe that if, if we made all decisions by those basic principles, do we build a great company? And so I think 
I was at a little bit of an advantage walking in with you because it was like, I want to prove that this is the case, that that running something based on, you know, caring about people and seeing people, not not figures, if you will, or faces, not figures that can be successful. Because I think much of life and Wall Street and hedge funds and, you know, all these kind of guys tell you it's all about the numbers. Can you can you make a bigger profit? Can you? Can you shave a little bit off the bid? Can you slash and burn? You know, people, hey, can you just fire 10 people because it'll boost the quarterly profit margin or whatever the case may be? And so it's not really what culture, you know, I went to business school. I didn't get an MBA, but it was like that wasn't really what I heard, you know, going through college at, at that point. So, you know, I think that was it of just trying to say, hey, can we really align around values? You know, I'm trying to put myself back when I was hearing this from you, and I think it was one of the reasons why I'm like, hey, I want this guy in my corner, anything I can do, because I I was really attracted to that message. But I was also at a point where I was stressed out, I was maxed out, I was, you know, kind of at a point of burnout almost. And I'm like, hey, I want to be profitable here, and I got to pay this off, and I want to invest here, and I want to start three or four more locations. So I'm like looking at more figures, not faces. What advice would you have to somebody that's in the grind right now of of life? They have a business. Maybe they are profitable, but they're trying to grow and they're just putting out fires every day or they're stressed out or they're maxed out or they got responsibilities at home and work. You know, they haven't had an exit. They don't have a little bit of cushion. Time feels like it's not on their side. What advice would you have for that type of leader or entrepreneur to help them work through what they're working through? Yeah, so I, I think I tell starting with people that are graduating college. If anybody asks my advice, you know, graduating college, I'm like, you know what? It's who you work for or who you work with is way more important than what you do or how much you make. And, you know, that is, that is really counter-cultural, counter I think, to the thoughts. But, you know, at the end of the day, it's really all about people. You know, you, you buy from a person. And I, you know, I learned that in, you know, get some contracts, even with public companies, you're thinking, oh, these are big public companies and you've got to deal with and you got to get through all the bureaucracy. But at the end of the day, it was like me and one guy on the other side. And if we create a relationship that becomes relational and not transactional, it's probably going to be a good experience. Now, I may or may not get the get the job. And I particularly think that with people and particularly today with the generation of folks, whether you call it, you know, the great resignation or free agent nation and, you know, nobody's got loyalty. And, and I think part of that is true that there's been a change of values of, of people and, and folks coming to work now that are in their twenties and thirties. But I think also that some of that was built because us as companies didn't care about people. And, you know, at the end of the day, it's your team. It's who's on the under other end of your, uh, uh, on the other end of the transaction. You know, the business we were in, it's like, who's that coach? How's he treating me? You know, how's my boss treating me? Does he understand what's going on? I'm, I'm paying my student loans. I want to get married next year or whatever the case may be. And it's pretty easily for us to rationalize. And I was a part of it with you of saying, yeah, I don't know if the numbers say we, we can't afford benefits or whatever the case may be. And that might be a reality at the time. But there's also a time that's like, well, you know, if you can't afford benefits and you got a 28 year old that's just got married, is about to have a kid, he, he can't 
you know, he can't afford to work with you anymore either. And so, you know, I just, I just feel like as the older I get, that it really is all about people, you know, and, and, and all relationships. So looking back, let's say it's, you know, what advice would you give to your 37 year old self? They're an entrepreneur, they're a leader. What advice would you give to them now that you're like, you know, I wish I knew this back then because I could have had a bigger impact, maybe even quicker than what you've already had. Yeah. So, um, that, that would, that would probably relate to some of the biggest failures I've had is that when I, when I come back to where the greatest success has been and when the greatest failures are, the common thread, and I've spent, a, a, you know, when I turned 50, you know, five years ago, I really started trying to analyze and figure out, hey, what do I want to do with the next 10 years of my life or 20? And a, and a real defining common thread was it became about value disconnects. I looked at some business deals and I can remember coming home and telling Robin, my wife, and this is going to be safe, so good. It can't miss. This guy's got this. He's done this deal. He's done that deal. And it's like, well, what about the person? I'm like, well, you know, he's not like my kind of guy exactly, but man, he is so smart at this. Or, you know, what's this guy? What is this? Why? Well, they don't believe in this. And yeah, they, they don't really have beliefs like that or whatever the case may be. But he is so smart at finance. That it's not going to win. So the biggest misses that I had were just, I'll call it values disconnect. And, and I, I try to think of like, if you're going to be in a foxhole, who do you want to be in a foxhole with? And the guys that I had bad relationships or things didn't end so well, it's like, it's like guys I don't want to be in a foxhole with. And, um, and the things that were successful and maybe not wildly, you know, everything's not a million dollar idea, but you know, I've had companies that didn't work out. But man, we were all kind of locked together. We had a good time trying. And at the end of the day, we're like, Hey, we're, we're all friends. The, the idea didn't work, but you know, there's going to be a time to, you know, come around again. Um, so I, I think it's just aligning on values, being equally yoked. I think that's a marriage. That's with your friends, you know, um, you know, being a parent and looking at that. And I used to, you know, laugh at the grandmother is like, you are who you hang out with, but the more I'm around, that is absolutely who you are. This, <laughs> is who you hang out with. It's like your five best friends. You're a reflection of them, you know, and, uh, and likewise in the other direction. So it's, um, it's, you know, follow the people, follow the values. Um, I told my son, you know, he graduated college a couple of years ago and I'm like, this, this job offers for, you know, $50,000. And you know what, you know, you're going to learn. This guy said he would take you in. He's going to help show you the ropes. And you know, this one's for $70,000, but you're going to be, you know, in a cubicle on the third floor and you're going to be handed a stack of stuff and said, start dialing. I'm like, I know it sounds tough now, but forget about the 20,000, you know, for your first, for your first few years, it's about who you're going to be around that can kind of help you get to the next step. And so I believe that in, in most everything. And I would do that. I followed the money. I mean, I came out of New York and read Art of the Deal. And I was like, man, if you can, if you can buy, buy low, sell high, cut corners, don't really tell them all the facts because then maybe you can get an extra 5% out of it. And you know what? You know, hey, if you don't pay payroll tax and you 1099 them, which, you know, that, that was an awesome interest period loan until, you know, I got a, uh, uh, got a lien put on my bank account. You know, it was like, oh, man, we can save 10%. And, you know, you learn really quickly that, um, 
that, you know, that's not the way, you know, if you can't come back to someone a year later or five years later and they don't want anything to do with you, you know, that one transaction wasn't worth it. That's great advice. And you live that out with us. I think you invited me over to your house just to hang out for a few hours and we went and hung out at a restaurant for a few hours and did a baseball game before we even really did business together. And you were probably feeling me out and I was probably feeling you out. I'm like, do I like this guy? Do I want to hang out with this guy? Do I even want to work with this guy? Because for me in business, like you have to want to work with them and excited yeah. to talk to them. And when they call you, be excited. And I think a lot of people, you're right, they're chasing the money or they're surrounding themselves with somebody that's super talented rather than figuring out the value fit first. Yeah, and all that to say, when you say looking back at your 37-year-old self, you know, in today in particular, information is ubiquitous and you can get to you can get to anybody anywhere and you have to be smart. You know, competition's big. So there's you've got to have, you know, smart people around you. You've got to have a business plan. You gotta put the work in. You gotta work, you know, I mean you slept at your place, you know, you're working so much. But you know, I work 60, 70 hours getting going. You do have to do all that. And there's, you still got to block and tackle and make the fundamentals and show up to meetings on time and, you know, pay your bills. But all those, if all those are kind of the cost of entry to be successful, you know, it doesn't matter your values. Most of those things you have to do regardless, cost of entry. But at the end of the day, I think it turns down to the people you're around, how you pick your partners, how you pick certainly a, a, a literal partner. And uh, that would go for spouse and, you know, other things as well. But yeah, I think that, you know, people are the difference. Let's talk about that for a second, because I think you or or at least Robin, your wife, is probably one of the reasons I'm married. I remember my wife visited and I'm like, hey, you should go talk to Robin and, you know, see, you know, about Atlanta and all that kind of stuff. And I don't know what she told her. And I think whatever she told her, I'm hoping she still feels she made the right decision. Um, but let's talk about that because I really admire your guys' relationship and I've seen you be a dad, be a husband, be a leader. How do you balance it all? Like it just feels I have two small kids. They're going to get older. I'm just seeing now I'm going to have to spend more time and more activities, but I'm also going to have to manage my relationship with my wife and businesses and all of that. Like how do you work it all together? I think it's really hard and, and I didn't always do it. One of the probably relieving talks that I heard that I, I reference a lot is, you know, Andy Stanley, you know, did a did a talk years ago called Choosing to Cheat. And I, I felt like it was directed straight at me. And it was like, hey, you want to work out and be healthy and you want to read books and mentally stimulus. You want to have a great marriage. You want to be there for your kids and you're trying to grow a business. And and what was relief to me is he he's often said, you can't do it all. You know, you can't. You have to choose to cheat. And, and I think what helped put it in perspective for me is there's seasons in life. You know, there's certain things that you have to do. And unfortunately, life usually puts a lot of those seasons at one time. You know, you're starting a business in your 30s. That's about when you're getting married. That might be when you're having kids. And, and so, one, it takes a lot of hard work. It takes, um, you know, it takes intentionality. And that became my favorite word is that, you know, if you just, walk around accidentally, which by the way is like probably over 90% of the population of America, you accidentally might develop some good relationships and your marriage might be good and your business might be good, but there's a whole lot better chance if you've got some intentionality. You know, if you say, this is a priority in my life and how am I intentionally 
going to spend time with my kids when they're three years old. And that'll change when they're 10 and when they're 15 and when they're 25, like mine are. And the same with the marriage. And so I think it was a little bit of a relief. And, you know, trying to balance that, saying, hey, I'm really growing a business. i got to spend a lot of time there. But, you know, when I do get home, is that from 6 o'clock to 8 o'clock, I'm going to totally unplug and I'm going to focus on my, my wife and kids? And then, you know what, I might have to go back and work from 8 to midnight because, you know, I'm trying to start a new business or whatever the case may be. But I, I think there needs to be some kind of a plan, you know, um, you know, in your case, I know you were very formal about that. Put it on the calendar, block it off and do it. In my case, I was not. And so it took constant reminders, you know, from from my wife, usually saying, hey, you're on the phone. We're sitting at the dinner table, you know, and, you know, my trigger on that became from a talk a friend of mine gave. There was a QT that was about a mile from my house and that became the trigger. It's like, all right, I either need to pull in the QT and finish my conversation so I can hang up the phone and go home. But the worst thing I can do is what I used to do is pull into the driveway, staying on the phone. It's like 10 more minutes, which turns into 20, which turns into 30 and you kind of blew it. So I think there's a little bit of pressure that's got to, you got to choose to cheat. You got to figure out, you got to organize your life around what your priorities are. Last thing, I'm going to get you out of here on this. You mentioned people walk around accidentally. Do you think Leaders, college baseball coaches, professional coaches, entrepreneurs. I mean, those are the people that are at the top of their profession. Do you think they're more not walking around accidentally? Do you think they have a plan or do you see that even at leaders at the highest level? So I think for parts of their life, athletics, particularly at the professional or even collegiate level, are probably the greatest example of having a plan, particularly now. You know, if, if if you're playing collegiately, certainly professionally, you've got a diet plan, you've got an exercise plan, a sleep plan. You might have a liquids plan of, you know, how much protein's coming in and, and, and all those kind of things. So I think in that part of their life, but, you know, you and I are both friends with several professional athletes. And the one that I respect an awful lot was Adam Everett. And, you know, he shared with me that, you know what, I'm looking around and, 90% of my teammates, when they retire, they're getting divorced. And so it's like they did not have a plan for their personal life. They did not have a plan for the kids because it was totally wrapped up. And I really don't think that's any different from the guy trying to be CEO and grow a company. You know, you're overweighted on your professional. And then in an athlete, it's really stark. One day you get a call from a coach and says, your career is over. And so it's oftentimes literally just that fast. You know, you're at practice on Monday and Tuesday you're unemployed and you're told to go back home to your family who you haven't seen, but, you know, 47 days a year for the last year. And all of a sudden it's like, wow. And so, so I do think there's a lot to be learned from the skills of great leaders and athletes um, professionally, but I don't know that there's a lot to be learned personally. I think we're all in the same boat on that. But if you take that analogy out, I do think that even among high-performing CEOs, there might be a part of their life. Or we know guys that are in the best shape. You can't even believe, you know, the biceps and how rough they can run and what they do at the gym. But, you know, they're unemployed and, you know, they're missing this or they can't keep a job and they can't keep a girlfriend or, you know, they're on. And so I do think that, by and large, the vast majority of uh 
of people in America and probably the world don't really have a plan for really any part of their life. They might have wishes, you know, or a dream, but it's not a plan where they're thinking, you know, being in shape, which, you know, I shouldn't be the one speaking on this, but it's really, really simple. <laughs> you know, it's like eat healthy, eat more broccoli and less ice cream. It's really, really simple. It's not complicated. Everybody knows this, but it's really hard to do, to have, if you don't have a plan, if you don't have discipline, you do. Raising kids, every single parent, baby kid comes out, it's like, I want to be the best dad. I want to spend time with them. I'm going to read books to them. And then life happens. And so intentions, another great book, you know, a quote is like, your, your, your direction, not your intention, determining your destination. And we all have great intentions, but if we don't step toward them, you know, maybe we'll bump into something good and maybe we'll happen to have a marriage retreat. But if we don't plan it, it's probably not going to happen. So, yeah, I, I do think even even athletes um, are a big part of their life. Yeah, that's a really good, Chad. Well, thank you. Uh, tell us what you're working on now, how somebody would get a hold of you. Yeah, so I'm uh, I'm a relatively new partner in a private equity firm, and I've spent the last you know five or six years really around some startups and and others, and um, you know for service based private equity, I'm at you know Garden City Companies, and then there's there's lots of other things. I'm on I'm on social. I'm not a power user, but you know LinkedIn's and Facebooks. I'm around, and um, you're you're welcome to share email address or phone numbers or or anything else, but I'm kind of in the business of kind of connecting people that have values-based businesses or that are starting and value-driven investors. So I've been doing a lot of connecting, kind of connecting people, culture, and money and where that collides, um, trying to get those folks together. Great. Well, thanks, Chad, for being a guest on the Dugout CEO and really appreciate your time. Sure thing. Thank you, Casey. Dugout Nation, so glad to be joined by Chad Merrill, a great friend, a businessman, and someone that I highly look up to. Here are the three big takeaways that I learned from Chad. Don't live an accidental life. Be intentional. Be deliberate and set aside dedicated time for the important areas in your life, such as spending time with your family, nurturing relationships, and focusing on personal well-being is crucial and critical for success and fulfillment. Athletes, entrepreneurs, business owners, they live a very intentional life in many areas of their business, which would be the sport they play, which leads them to achieving high levels of performance, making them an all-star on the field or in the boardroom. But oftentimes they experience failure in other aspects of their lives, whether it's family or divorce, whatever that looks like. So you have to be intentional about every aspect of your life. And the caveat, choosing to cheat, recognizing that it is impossible to do it all, acknowledging that certain areas of your life may need to take precedent over others during difficult seasons. Number two, choose value alignment over all things. Take time to reflect on your core values and what truly matters to you. And when you have opportunities to make a new hire or partner with someone in business, evaluate that person's values first and see if they are in alignment with the principles you believe in. And if that person can be a key contributor to your long-term vision and you like them and you trust them and you have alignment and values, you would potentially be best suited to bring that person on in your business. Number three, have a giving plan. Many companies have a plan on where they're going to invest their profits to generate more profits, new investments in people, technology, and assets, but very few have a giving plan. 
They're just giving money away to benefit others with no plan for return. If you are about to start a business, think about where you plan to invest your profits first. If you currently have a business, what are you doing with those profits? Get your team involved on the decision-making process. Be intentional with your giving of both your time and your money, and it's better to give than receive. Have a strategy and plan on how you plan to do that to benefit the lives of others. Thank you for joining us once more for another episode of The Dugout CEO. We want to get you the tips you need to become an MVP at what you do. Sign up for our Friday Focus newsletter and you'll receive a valuable tip each Friday morning to help you build the business and life you want. You can sign up by going to CaseyCavell.com or click the link in the show notes. And make sure to hit the subscribe button so you get notification on our next episode. And one way you can help us book more great guests like this is to please leave us a rating and honest review in the Apple or Spotify podcasting app.